things I want to talk about Isaiah. Um, a few pointers I would have. I think I have a slide, too. It's got like four little uh, inserts about Isaiah and his life. We know a few things about him. Since we're in the chapter 43, hold on, let's back out of that one. The main idea will come up in a minute. Uh, let's back out of 43. Uh, excuse me, we're in chapter 43, so we've got 42 verses. I thought it would be a really good idea to just give a recap on Isaiah. It's easy to detach ourselves from the story. So let me give you a few uh, facts about Isaiah. He was born somewhere between 791 and 740. Okay, in the year of King Uzziah's reign. That was a long time ago, right? That was BC. Let me make sure that's clear. BC. So we're talking quite a while back, right? And we know that he was a married man with at least two kids, chapter 7 and 8 tell us. Interesting, right? Uh, his calling came when the King Uzziah died in chapter 6. So his calling came as he was somewhat middle-aged or not a kid. Uh, his calling came later in life. And we also notice he had access to... Uh, the royal palace, you know, he had access to some pretty high uh, places in society, so it would, it would lend us to believe he was pretty affluent. And I say all to say this, why that's important, because it's easy to detach ourselves from the book of Isaiah, a prophet written in a, a time where he was in a kingdom that was a theocracy, you know, just a completely different culture than ours. We could detach ourselves from it, but when you take out who he is and the character traits he has, you find out that he's a middle-aged married man with a couple of kids who has a calling later in life. He sounds a lot more relatable now, right? Especially to a lot of us in here. Middle-aged man, couple kids, and he's married, and he's got a calling on his life, and he has to stand for his faith. Now I hope he's a little more relatable. And why is that important? Man, we need to see ourselves in the story. We can't allow something just because it's written so long ago to, be, to detach. This story, the character, everything in the Old Testament is written for us. And it's also a great place to learn and see the character. That's one thing I love about the Old Testament is... Uh, the, in the New Testament interprets a lot of the, the, the mystery of the Old Testament and, and the rules and, and practices that Jesus has for us. But the Old Testament really gives us a clear display of what, how God feels about certain sins, um, society when they practice certain sins. You see God's heart towards communities all through the Old Testament. It's a beautiful thing. And I, I really enjoy the Old Testament. And so that leads me to my main idea. Now we can throw that slide up there. And the main idea, let us learn from the mistakes of our brothers and sisters of old and seek to glorify God in all that we do. That is my main goal tonight as we look at Isaiah chapter 43, that we can, we can find ourselves in this place and that we can learn from them. That way today, tomorrow, and the next day we can continue to glorify God in all that we do. I apologize a little. I'm a little under the weather. Pastor Jeff told me, don't go out on, on, Friday, on Saturday nights. And I did. <laughs> And I went to a great spot in Uptown Whittier, and I'm not sure if it was the food or the timing. I don't know, but I got a little uh, nauseous, and, but I'm good. The day quilt is kicking in, and I'm ready to roll. I'm excited, man. I feel very honored and humbled to be up here. So uh, I broke the chapter up. For me, when I read the prophecies, prophecy, like, I, I love the prophets. I, I know, I, I love them. I love reading them, minor, major, all of them. Um, but when you read them, they kind of, sometimes they just say something. It's like, God, that kind of seems out of place. So, but it's not. Um, it's very uh, cohesive. You just got to keep reading. But I, for me, breaking the chapter up into sections really helps. So I broke it into five sections. In verses one through four, it should be a slide, hopefully. Yes, God and his promises, verses one through four. The second section we're going to talk is God telling his people he will bring them back from captivity, verses five through eight. The Lord de declares his sovereignty in verses nine through 13. God tells his plan when he will gather them with an addition, the church. That's in verses 14 through 21. And why? They're going to be captives, verses 22 through 28. Now, note this. As we go through things, for instance, when I talk about his promises, when we get down to the latter portion of 14 through 21, his promises will be mentioned again. 
You're going to see some of it overlap. The key of this breakdown is the thought in those sentences, the thought in that paragraph. Some things will be redundant, but it's the thought we're capturing. So we know what Isaiah is saying. We can understand it, comprehend it, and apply it to our lives here now today. Cerritos, 2019. Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 through 4. But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt as a ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are my precious, because you are precious in my eyes, and I honored I love you. I give men in return for you, people in exchange for your life. God opens up, remind them of who He is, right? He is their creator. He is their creator. That's something that we always need to be reminded of. You know why? We tend to forget that. We tend to think we, we, we tend to forget that we have a creator, someone who's providing and guiding our lives and tend to muster up all of our own strength a lot of the times. We've got to remember God is our creator. But another thing is this. Um, why is he reminding them of this? I have learned in reading the scriptures when it says, fear not, that's a fearful time. <laughs> it's like, hey, something pretty wild is going to happen. Like an angel is going to appear or has appeared and scaring one of the apostles or it would have scared me too. It's something, something fascinating too when you look through scripture. Every time men or God's people come encounter with an angel, man, they fall like they're going to die. There's this reverence before God. And so I love that. But when God, in his word, is reminding them, hey, this is who I am, right? It's because he's trying to comfort them. Difficult words are going to arise from the mouth of the Lord. He wants to comfort his saints. And it's something we have to remember, too. As we look at this life, we're no different. God is not on the throne to give us some kind of glorified dream life. He is on the throne to build his church, and he's invited us along. And it's our job to be on that ship and abide and and help in every facet that he's called us to. He reminds them of their coming captivity. Look at verse 2. It's very promising. Talk about his promises. Here's a good promise. When you pass, see it, the definition? When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. Man, that'd be harsh words to hear, right? Especially if we got told that today, that'd be pretty rough. Now, what's cool about this passage in Daniel, we actually see the latter portion fulfilled in the book of Daniel. In the book of Daniel, chapter 3, verses 19 to 25, you have this this incident where these three Jewish boys, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, and the good contrast, junior hires, is Daniel and his three homies, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they're about junior high age. The reason why we know is because they are at the beginning of the captivity. Daniel's reading uh, Jeremiah, and he says, hey, the 70 years are up, so he's got to be somewhere, he's got to be under 30, because if that's the time the captivity is over, he'd be 100. Is math following the math? Anyhow, we know they're young kids, and what's important is they're young kids that are at the time of the captivity, and they strang, they stand strong for their faith. Woo! Talk about an encouragement. Read Daniel, amazing prophet, amazing young man of God. Um, except these three, these three young servants, though, they get caught up. They don't honor the world. They, they're told not to pray, and they pray anyways. And they get thrown into a furnace, and they're not burned. It's an amazing story. You should read it. It comes in Daniel chapter 3, chapter 4. All those chapters are amazing, Daniel. And the, uh, what's crazy is this king, Nebuchadnezzar, in the book of Daniel. He actually, we actually talk about him a little bit, too, in Isaiah, a lot of it. He comes to faith. Read it. At least it appears he comes to faith. He starts worshiping the God Almighty and the God of the Bible, and it's an amazing thing. So 
Um, great things we see out of that. So verses 5 through 8, now we're going to speak of God's plan, right? Now we're moving on. He's going to speak of his plan, right, to bring all his people back to worship. So he just told him, hey, you are now going to go into captivity. And when all this happens, don't worry, I will be with you. And your mind's in the promises, right? And now he says from verses 5 through 8, God speaks of his plan um, to bring all his people back to worship him. Verses 5 through 8. Fear not, I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, who I formed and made. Bring out the people who are blind, yet have eyes, who are deaf, yet have ears. Man, that's awesome. Notice God, who God is bringing back in the future. So now they go into captivity. Now notice how he starts to insert the gospel. Right there in the book of Isaiah, we start to see the gospel. Now remember this. When you go through the life of Jesus, he talks about us being a little more uh, privileged than the prophets, right? Because we get to understand the mystery. You're getting to see the mystery right here. Isaiah can't see it because his time has not yet come. However, this is an amazing spot where you start to see, look at verse 5. The people's offspring, they're from the east and the west, right? Verse 6, the sons and daughters from the north and the south. He's making this claim, I'm going to bring my people from everywhere. Yes, you're a Jewish nation. Yes, it's the nation of Israel and Judea. And you're, you're going to go into captivity. But when I bring you back, I am doing a new thing. He'll get to that. And again, I'm getting ahead of myself. Everyone who's called by my name, look at the definite. Everyone who's called by my name, whom I created for my glory. I love that. <clears throat> who I formed. Look at verse 8. Bring out the people who are blind, yet have eyes, who are deaf, yet have ears. Sorry, my mouth got a little dry. It's important to understand that because, again, we need to see ourselves in this passage. We don't want to take the passage and say, oh, this is just Israel. This is something that happened to the nation of Israel. No, saints. Man, this is, this is us. This is the promise being spoken about us, and, and we need to see ourselves in it. God had a plan to bring all the nations and bless all the people. Look, at, go back to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Look at the call of Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will... And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in all your families and of the earth shall be blessed. He's talking about the entire world. Now, how do we know that's the church? Thanks for asking. We have the Apostle Paul. He interprets the Old Testament wonderfully for us. Galatians chapter 3, 8. And the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles. That is you and I, saints, by faith, right? He will justify us by faith. Preach the gospel before him. Paul says it right there that he preached the gospel before him to Abraham, saying what? In you, all nations so shall be blessed. We have to see that when God is regathering his saints, he is talking about gathering the church, starting to build the church. Man, take comfort in that. We come up here and encourage you weekly, man. Hey, we're, God's building the church. He's been building it for thousands of years. And when you see scripture and when you, when you kind of, you know, you get taught it properly, you could see ourselves back there thousands of years. And there's no longer this split like, oh, well, that was that. And, no, it's one story. One covenant from beginning to end, and we see ourselves in this passage, and God is already thinking of us. How amazing God is already thinking about his saints, us, the Gentiles, the church. He's already thinking of us, right, when he's moving thousands of years in the nation of Israel. It's a beautiful thing. That's the God we serve, and that is the mystery of the Old Testament. And That's a beautiful thing. That same God is still working in your life, and he has a plan 
thousands of years from now, if he doesn't return, thousands of years from now. It's the same concept. And we have the same opportunity like Isaiah did, the same opportunity like, like the nation of Israel did to worship and glorify God and be like David where he said that he would worship God and he would, in his generation. And that is our opportunity, okay? And the word, it's very clear. Okay, so now we're going to go to verses 9 through 13. And the Lord starts to declare his sovereignty. I take comfort in God's sovereignty because I'm a very unsovereign person, very inconsistent in a lot of things I do. And I take comfort that I have a God who has complete control of the universe looking out for me. And so when I read these passages, I really get excited. As we look through 9 through 13, we look at God showing his sovereignty. So remember, he's saying some harsh things. One thing to note, too, in this time of Isaiah, it's not really a chaotic time. They're having issues with some surrounding nations, but it's prosperous. Okay, it's prosperous. Remember, we learned a few weeks back that I, uh, King Hezekiah got all excited, and he brought the, the Babylonians in and showed them all their riches. Yeah, he made a big mistake. But that tells you the nation was doing really well at that time. So when Isaiah is saying these things, and he is, these people are like, this guy's crazy. Who can conquer us? We have God. He just wiped out the Assyrians. For, ain't nothing going to happen to us. They have this arrogance. At least they can. Sound a little familiar? God's in control. I love my country, but God's in control. And I serve him. I'm a pilgrim. Whether I'm going to love this country or not, I'm a pilgrim passing through it. And so when Isaiah is preaching, he is preaching to people who are going to challenge him. There's actually prophets who are contradicting him. And you see this war between prophets going on. But he's the true prophet. And he's saying very harsh things. And he's calling people to repent in a time of, a time of uh, a blessing. And, and I love the definite, like, speech God gives. Like, this is going to happen, and who are you to say it's not? Look at his sovereignty. All the nations gather together, and the people assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their witness to prove them right, and let them hear and say it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I've chosen. That's us. That you may know and believe me and understand that I am he before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be after me. I, I am the Lord. Excuse me. And besides me, there is no Savior. I declare, look at this. I declare and save and proclaim when there was no strange God among you, and you are my witnesses, declares the Lord. I am God. Also henceforth, I am he. There is no one who can deliver you from my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? Man, that is a very clear statement that God is saying, this is going to happen, and I am in control of this. He affirms what he says he's going to do. Just remember, just remember who he is and accept your will may not line up with his. You think all these people live in this very affluent time are like, yeah, captivity sounds great. Yay, praise God in his will. Nah, man, that's like God's will sounding very difficult to accept at that point, you know? And there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, areas today in our faith where Living here in, in our own country, it's like, dude, this is some, some very harsh things to believe in or uh, divisive things to believe in. God's promises are yes and amen. Look what it says in Romans 4, 3, or excuse me, 3, 4. By, by no means, let God be true and everyone a liar. God is saying this is going to happen. Instead, and it's happened. We have hindsight. You know, they did it. We do. It happened. And let God be true. And that gives, you know, when he goes back and he talks about, hey, he tells Israel, you guys had Egypt. Remember? Remember how I delivered you from Egypt? 
Well, the same applies to us. Remember how he delivered the saints from old, from the Babylonians, the Syrians? Same for us. We look at them just like they looked at Moses. You know, and, it's, and we can learn and be blessed and encouraged that God's will is going to be accomplished. We need to humble ourselves to join this mission. We are people that need to, con- to constantly seek his will. We cannot assume his will. Remember, these are people living in a time of prosperity. They interpreted the prosperity of their nation as God's blessing. That's the biggest deception. You know, I, look, there's fires going on, and that's very unfortunate. And this is a common thing. And if you say this, look, I am not at all attacking. I just want to give you guys observations of how, how things per- can be perceived, right? So this happened to me years ago. I was in a Bible study, and there was a preacher preaching. He was doing his thing. And someone said, praise God. God bless me. He didn't burn my house. And someone across the, uh, the church said, well, does he not like me because he burned my house? It's like, dang. Whoa, what is blessing? And that, that flips that entire word on his head. You see, because when we interpret blessing, we think us. God will bless us. We can rejoice in his promises. We can take comfort in the things he has for us. But he's accomplishing his will, and if it means stepping on us, he will. He'll do his thing, but he'll always be glorified. It's never in an unglorified fashion. It always brings glory to Jesus and what he's done. When you think of what the Bible teaches about the Holy Spirit, right? It says he will take what is God's and make it known, right? And he will seek to glorify Jesus. That's what Jesus says the Holy Spirit's going to do. So when you see people running around praising the Holy Spirit, remember the Holy Spirit's role is to glorify Jesus. And so when we see all this and we see God doing his thing and we see his will being accomplished, and sometimes, dang, that's difficult to accept right now, it's glorifying God. Do you think people were saying, man, Jehovah must have been an amazing God. He just allowed his nation to be wiped out. No, they were being mocked. They were being mocked tremendously. As a matter of fact, uh, a few chapters back when, um, man, what's that guy's name? That dude, yeah, Rishenka, yeah, right? He starts telling, he starts mocking them. We've crushed this God and this God. He got handled, don't get me wrong. But it goes to show you there's a lot of similarities when we look at what God is doing in the nation of Israel at this time and us. We could take comfort in that. Look at John. And this is the thing we have to know about God's will, even though it's difficult to accept. I love this passage. If I ever get a tattoo of a scripture on me, it may be this one. John 12, 24 says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Think about that. Unless a grain of wheat falls and dies, it doesn't do anything. It's worthless. And he is speaking that to his servants. He is speaking that to the servants. So he says, ask in my name and you shall receive. But remember, you are the ones I told, pick up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself. Whew. We have to think of God's will as something greater and bigger than us. We are a vapor. We are a dust in the wind. We'll be here and gone tomorrow. And his will will continue to be accomplished and his church will grow and his kingdom will come. And the consummation will be here and we'll all be glorifying and worshiping Jesus. It will be an amazing thing. But in our life, there are difficult things. There are harshness of his will that we may have to accept but stand strong for. Because our faith is something that we need to stand strong for. And not worrying about it being a friend to the world. Don't have, to be in, don't have to be violent towards the world, but we can stand for what we believe with confidence because God has a plan, and he's going to accomplish it. And the di- dying, look, dying is simple to yourself. And it starts with simple steps. I mean, spiritually, like dying to yourself. And it starts with simple steps because we all think, oh, the sin, i got to quit. Yes. But remember, Jesus says repent and be baptized. The first two steps of obedience are simple. Go, get dunked under water, and come back up. That doesn't seem like much, but you know that's super, super important. 
And I'm a victim of this. So again, if you've done this, please, I am speaking from experience. However, I've been baptized. Well, I want to be baptized in the Jordan. All right? We minimize what God is doing in the work because now baptism, his work has become an emotional experience. Man, I was baptized in some church in Whittier with horrible theology, great love. My faith was genuine, and that moment's precious. I met my wife. I met my beautiful wife there, and that moment's precious. And for me to say, hey, you know what? I need to be baptized in the Jordan so I could be like Jesus. No, be obedient to his will. That's what he is. That's being like Jesus. And so when we look at God's will and what he's asking us to do, simple steps of obedience. You know what's another one we like to twist? Tithing. Dude, tithing is a biblical thing. God commands it. It's one of the areas in Scripture where God says, test me. We like to test some other things, like, well, Lord, I'm going to do this. And if you don't like that, then, you know, make the rug wet when I get outside so I can see the fleece. You know, we, we do these weird things. But God's like, don't test me. Remember when Satan tempted Jesus and he said, hey, doesn't the word says this? And, and Jesus says, hey, you don't tempt the Lord. You don't tempt the Lord. But there is an area where God said, test me. And it's with tithing. And these are two physical areas, man, that we can apply simply. Tithing takes very little energy. It takes faith. You know, I, don't get me wrong. I, hey, look, I want to keep all my money. I, I wish there was zero taxes. <laughs> I want my money. But I understand the spiritual practice of tithing. I understand the spiritual reward. And I will have faith that I'll receive what God has for me when I tithe. And just so you know, I'm not on staff. <laughs> Sorry, that's a bad joke. I want to see you guys blessed. In all, in all honesty, I love doing this because I believe you guys need to be blessed. But I want you to be blessed the right way. I want to see God working. I want to see his kingdom established, man. I really do. Because when there's godly community, there's conflict in it. But when there's godly community, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. When you get to just be real about your faith, it's an amazing thing. So when we look at God and the sovereignty and what he's calling us, remember, man, we need to uh, submit and die to this will. Back to Isaiah. God will restore his people. Let me get a drink of water first. The clock tells me I have 20 minutes. So I have to slow down. God will restore his people. Someone say that's true? Am I, am I going a little fast? Am I getting all hyped up? I was sick a minute ago. I think Daco was kicked in because I feel good. I'm a little sweaty, though. So here we go. God will restore his people. <laughs> Doing good, right? There we go. Verses 14 through 21, God will restore his people. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer. I love that. Your Redeemer. I love the personal, uh, uh, the way he relates to us so personally. The Holy One of Israel. For your sake, I send Babylon, and I bring them all down as fugitives, even the Chaldeans and the ships which they, are, which they rejoice. I am the Lord. This is, again, where some of the similar promises. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea and a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariots and horses, army and warrior. They lay down. They cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched, quenched like a wick. Candle wick he's talking about. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness, a river in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, uh, to give drink to my chosen people. God will provide. But that provision seems like it's pretty rough. The people whom I formed for myself, that they may what? They might what? Uh, 
So when we see his blessings, it's all to declare his praise, and God has all this for us. And look at verses 14 through 15, it says this, right? Essentially, he's saying he'll destroy Babylon. Hey, you're going to captivity, but don't trip. Got these guys. See, these, these boats are coming to uh, conquer you in. They're rejoicing in them. Don't trip. I got them. But you're still being disciplined, right? So he, he, mocks, he mocks, essentially mocks Babylon. Yes, you may take them captive, but I got, I'll have my vengeance. He reminds them of his power, verses 16. Look at, he can destroy our greatest armies with the same ease as you and you, the same ease is, the same ease as you and I blowing out a candle wick. Think about that. Maybe a little harder. Sometimes I get scared touching the candle wick because that wax burns. Like, ah, anyhow, bad joke. He speaks of the New Testament, verses 18 through 19, and this is what I love, right? It will be different when God gathers them back. It's a new thing. It's a new thing. The former things, no mas. It's a new thing. Remember that thing I told Abraham? That thing's going to come to fruition. And the last portion, this is the part where you can see the mystery confusing the prophets of old. Because if you look at, behold, I'm doing a new thing, right? In verses 19, he's talking about the church. But then it immediately goes on into his kingdom. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. He immediately goes into the restoration of the earth. You can see the confusion Isaiah may have had there. He's not speaking of two different things. He's speaking of one thing. But no, he's speaking of the mystery and then the consummation. It's important. It's important to see that in Scripture because God always had a plan for us. God always had a calling on your life. That's why it says something so beautiful in the book of Jeremiah. Before I knew you, you know, I, I, he talks about he formed you in the womb. And then it says in Ephesians that you were his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus, do good works which he has prepared beforehand. Think about that. So when I came to faith, I think I was 21. I was 21. A week before my 21st birthday, to be exact, my friends were all upset because I was the oldest of them. Just so you know, that means I couldn't buy them alcohol. I got really legalistic when I came to faith. That was like crazy transformation. I've sensed regressed. (laughs) But um, now I lost my thought. Way to go, Scotty. <clears throat> it's all good. We'll move on up to the last portion, right? And this is, this is actually the part I love, right? Why are they going to be captives? And that's the question I ask myself. What would get God so upset? Like, why? Why does he discipline his people in such harsh ways, which would appear harsh? Yeah, right? It's like, why would he do that? And to me, the thought that comes to my mind, like, I don't know, maybe they're full of rape, incest, murder, like just all this violent stuff and this, this just gnarliness, right? That's not what it says. You did not call upon me, O Jacob, but you have been weary of me. Think about it. That's a heart issue. You've been weary of me. Look what he says. You have not brought me your sheep for burnt offering or honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with offerings or wearied you with frankincense. You, are not, you have not brought me sweet cane with money. There's that tithing thing again. Or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifice. But you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance. Sounds like the book of Revelation, right? Repent, repeat. <clears throat> Put me in remembrance. Let us argue together. That's beautiful. Think of Jacob. Jacob got his leg broke. So when you want to argue with God, just remember, he's got one heck of a leg lock. Set forth your case that you may prove right. Your first father sinned, 
and your mediators transgressed against me. Therefore, I will profane the princes of the sanctuary man, and deliver Jacob, Israel, to utter destruction, or Judah, excuse me, Jacob's Judah, to utter destruction in Israel. Think about that. Here we go. When we ask what God would discipline his people for, would you think, or would you agree, though, you would think a little more violence, right? Hmm. It's not, man. Remember, Isaiah was in a time of prosperity. He was in a great time where his country was moving. He actually won some wars. Had a pretty dope victory against the Assyrians. God just wiped them all out on his own. Was it 140,000? Giant number, 120,000. It's a giant number. God just smiked them. And so they have a lot of confidence. But God is now telling them, hey. But this is what I love. Notice, notice the sins in verses 23 and 24. And I kind of break these up into two sections, right? Spiritual and physical. Look what it says in 23, and I'll get to that in a minute. You have not brought me your sheep or burnt offers or honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with offers or wearied you with frankincense. I feel like, like when I look at this, because I think of 1 Peter. 1 Peter, I believe it's chapter 3. Forgive me, I should have got the reference, but it says all things that pertain to life and godliness are found in the Bible. Okay? So now I think spiritual, life and godliness. I think spiritual, my working habits, my spiritual habits. They're all found in Scripture. And so when I look and I see there's two mentions, there's two sins being addressed here. God always narrows things down. And he says, you have not brought me your sweet burnt offerings. I look at the first 123, how we come to church, how we worship him spiritually. That's how I see that. And when I say that, this is this. One of the things that really, really gets to me, and it, it does break me, and I'm a victim of this. If anyone knows me, um, they will know that I am very picky and don't care for worship music. Now, I, I love worship. I love hymns. Please don't get me wrong. I'm just not a very emotional person. I'm not into doing that. I think it's beautiful. But when I see people divide over that, it blows me away. I can't go to that church. I don't like to worship. Like, whoa. So now we're in the entertainment era. No. We're fortunate. Joey is a good, godly young man. Very fortunate to have him leading us. Um, I've been ministering with him for close to 10 years now. And um, very fortunate. I love that kid. But when I talk about worship, it's how are we coming? How are we treating this time? You know what I've done with my sin? Because I do struggle sometimes with singing. I read. You'll catch me back there. I'm not texting no one. I'm on my phone just going. That's why I like to bring my old school Bible. But the phone just fits better in my pocket. But I, <laughs> I like to read the Psalms. I may be struggling with, ah, oh, God. So I read the Psalms. Like, Lord, I struggle with this. Not today, though. Today was legit. I came in a good mood. I was like, man, this is Revelation song was on point. I was definitely feeling emotional there. But honestly, when we look at these sins, that is simple. Heart issues. You know what else I think? We all come in here and worship and we think of Jesus. When Jesus says, think about this, what Jesus says. Before you bring your gift to the altar, if you have an offense with your brother, go settle it. How many of us are in here with offenses towards our brothers and we are free like, I don't care. Hallelujah. And I ain't trying to mock. I ain't trying to minimize. But this is the reality of what we do. That's a harsh scripture. Like, whoa, Jesus, why you got to say that for? It was their fault. He's much as it is when you be at peace with all men. That's a harsh, direct commandment. Those are the things that are being forgotten. Raising my hand, quoting scripture, memorizing how to put a sermon together. I could do that in my flesh. Forgive me. I don't mean that in a sinful or prideful way. But honoring God in my heart? No. It takes death. It takes death to myself. And we have to look at scripture and not justify the difficult passages. I'll give you an example. 
Um, I don't know how much I want to talk about it. I love my mom. My mom's a great woman. She is redeemed. She has since repented and has become a good woman. However, my mom wasn't always that way. I was raised in the hood and with other people for a reason. My mom was in prison for a big chunk of my life, right? And uh, she's done things I'm not proud of. And so I have people that tell me, you don't have to honor your mom. She's a wicked person. Whoa. Where did you get that interpretation of the Bible? I like it. I like it, you know. But no. Much as it's in me, I have to honor her. And it's been a struggle. It's been a struggle. These things I'm sharing with you, man, these are my experiences. And I'm trying to honor her, love her. Just pain, a lot of brokenness. Like, why do I got to go live with, with all these essays? No offense, Mexicans, I love you guys. Like, why do I got to be here, being raised here, and, and I'm just this loner? Like, I love my childhood. I wouldn't take it for anything. But there's some resentment that builds up in me, you know, and I have to honor her. And I do. I do my best. But it's been difficult. And those scriptures we have to take more serious because that is when the world knows we love one another by our love for one another. And if we are coming up here with burdens towards a brother and sister and worshiping God, man, if you're going to bed with wrath, the Bible says don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Those are scriptures, man. We got to take those to heed. And look at the second portion. You have not brought me sweet cane with money or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices, but you burdened me with your sins. I kind of see that as our physical worship. Tithes. I really look at tithe, baptism, forgiving people, gossip, the things we do in the flesh. Are you just giving? Are you just giving? That, look, in the, old, excuse me, in the beginning of the church, tithing was a very popular thing, a very open thing. So Western culture has changed it. But it's an indication of where your heart is at. And, and, and that's why God deals with it. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. But not the goal to get it. You just have to get it and do what's right with it. Honor God with your first fruits. It's difficult. Trust me. Especially when the bills come like, that leaves me with only this much money. Lord, can we kind of negotiate? No. Obedience rather than sacrifice. And that's what God is calling us to. So when we look at this passage and we look at God's people, God's shown his promises. And he says, I'm going to put you in captivity. Yet I'm going to bring you back. And when I bring you back, it's going to be different. Building the church. I'm building the church. I'm going to bring my son. He's going to die for you, and we're going to invite the world in. And everyone will glorify the Lord. And now it's our time. It's our time, just like Israel had the torch and got to show the glory of God. It's the church's time where we get to show the glory. We are the fulfillment of the Old Testament, saints, and it is our job to continue to glorify what Jesus, what God had called the Israelites to glorify, and that's God, his name. And we have to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what the law requires. That's, I was going over that last night at the chicken coop with my kids. And what does God require of you? That we love God with all our heart, soul, mind. It's from the catechism. Don't make it difficult. Make it simple. Start with the I always tell the junior hires, you know how you start obeying God? With what you know. Honor your mother and father. That's the best way to start. And I get in good graces with the parents on that one. So that's a little bit. That's a twofer. But it's simple. God meets you where you're at. But he, he's going to bring you along. Read the book of Hebrews. He gets pretty bothered if you want to stay a child. He doesn't have really compassion on you. Salvation, yes, still there. But he's like, hey, you don't want to grow. And I'm going to spank you around a little. But it's because of our immaturity. And so when we look at the life of the people in Isaiah right here in chapter 43, and we see what God is disciplining them for, saints, we have the same calling. 
We have the same situation. And we have the same heart being checked by God. And so I want to encourage you, man, as you read and as you come now, it's time for communion. As you come, and, you, and that's the beautiful thing. You have communion. You get to confess. You know, Lord, I'm really bothered with Scotty Hines. He talks too fast. <laughs> and then you come tell me, hey, you know what? You're encouraging. Please just say that part before you diss me. But man, you talk too fast. Oh, that's cool. Well, thank you for the kind words. <laughs> I'm speaking tonight somewhere else. <laughs> but no, in all sincerity, I say it humorously because I want you guys to get it. I want it to sink in. These are simple things. And look, if you go and confess to a brother and they don't forgive you, off your shoulders. The Bible says as much as within you. But man, we start being that people. Start putting God first spiritually and physically. Start tithing. Start donating our time. Start doing the things and, and, and worshiping God with all of our resources, both spiritually and physically. And watch him be glorified. Amen, saints? Amen. Do I pray this out? Father, thank you so much for this opportunity, Lord. I am humbled, Lord, to be up here. I'm excited. Thank you for it. Um, thank you for the things you show me, Lord. I know for me, I just want to glorify you with my children, with my wife, Lord, through adoptions, all these things, Lord. I want to see you glorified. So I pray for our saints here that as your word spoke to them, encourage, convict, whatever you've done with them, Lord. I pray, Lord, that uh, they just obey. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can I point out one other thing, Pastor Jeff? I apologize. I thought of this. Uh, I know, I know. Psych! I got five minutes. <laughs> You want to know the state of the church? In James, it says this. True and undefiled religion is this, to look after the widows and orphans. Saints, there are roughly 400,000 church, excuse me, orphans in this country alone, and there's over 300,000 churches. That means if every church essentially adopted one and a quarter kid, we would eradicate the foster system. That is our calling, and we've abandoned it. That is a sign of where the heart of the church is at. Saints, don't let that be of generations. We want to care for the orphans and honor God, and obey him in the simple steps. There you go, brother. One of that book. That sets us up for November 24th, right? Amen. November 24th, Stand Sunday. Uh, since Scott said that, let me say this. 30,000 kids in foster care in L.A. County. 30,000. That's what we're going to look at. We're not going to look at half a million in the, in the country. We're going to look at those who are in, in our neck of the woods, Right? If something that Scott said today, if something Pastor Scott said today struck your heart, whether that's about worship, uh, if that's about giving, if that's about forgiveness, whatever that is, if something stood out to your heart, this is your opportunity to leave that with Jesus. Right? The gospel is that, that God sent his only son, that his son would live the life that we were called to live and have failed. And that, his son would die the death we deserve and he does not. And that through that death, we can be forgiven. And that through his resurrection, we can have new life. And that through that gospel, we can be different. And then Jesus gave us a tangible, visible reminder of that very gospel. When he sat with his disciples on the night he was betrayed and he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. And then he took the cup and he said, this cup is a covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of your sins. He said, take and eat, take and drink. The apostle Paul later would go on and say, as often as you eat of the bread and drink of the cup, 
you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so as we do each week, we invite you to come forward and take communion. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is the place where you can come and you can take that conviction. You can take what you saw in scripture and you can, and you can prayerfully and contemplatively come and leave that to Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this is a meal for the follower of Jesus. This is a place where, where believers come forward. But if you want to give your life to Jesus today, if you want to cons consider following Jesus, then you can come forward and take communion for the first time. If you've wandered away, if your life is not glorifying Jesus right now, you can come and return. And let this reminder of the Lord's death and resurrection, this reminder of the gospel, let that draw you near today. Our deacons are serving communion today. Our deacons are also taking the, the offering, tithes and offerings. If you're a guest here, you can put your connection card in there. Our tithes and our offerings, that's for, the, that's for the folks that call this church home. This is where God has called us to give. And so would you guys stand with me? We also have the opportunity to, to sing and offer worship and praise to God because God is deserving. And so I'm going to invite you to come, to take communion, to give, to, to give us your connection card, to connect with us, to, to worship, to do all that God has called you to do.